You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. Hey, listen, how many people saw that blood moon that happened a couple weeks ago? Who saw that? A few of us? I was outside, I saw it. Um, It's pretty amazing. We sat out on the porch and we just watched it, uh, and it was incredible. Hey, how many of you in this room know that that there's a group of Christian people who believe that that blood moon uh, signifies the end of the world as we know it, that Jesus is coming back? How many people are aware of that? There's a few people who think that. yeah, they think that the world is, is, is ending. This blood mood signifies it. It shows that, uh, uh, and if you look at all the signs, the signs are there and this place is a bad place. I sort of get why you would think that. I sort of can understand it. I mean, like, um, uh, you know, think about everything that's happening. Like the crisis in Syria, right? You have this civil war going on. You have ISIS in the Middle East and all the other Middle East stuff that's happening. You have um, uh, sh- terrible shootings that continue, right? Including the shootings in Oregon not too long ago. You have, uh, uh, you know, last week it was awful. This, this girl in Long Island uh, was sitting in her house. She was 12 years old and a stray bullet came through and shot her and killed her. Um, you know, the sex trafficking that we hear about, the, the other trafficking that we hear about, we hear about, you know, sexism, misogynism, we hear about violence. I mean, the list goes on and on. And so, of course, if we see some blood moon, there might be a group of people that sit there and they go, you know what? This place is ending. God's coming back. Jesus is coming back. Like, this is it. I'm here to tell you that this is a fact. Somebody at the New York Times has done their research and they said that contrary to popular belief, this is the most peaceful and non-violent time we have ever had in the history of our world. Can you believe that? This is the most peaceful and non-violent time we've ever had in the entire history of our world. So there's that, right? Um, But still, right, it doesn't take away from the fact that, that we can read scripture and we can look at it and we can make up assumptions and different ideas and different thoughts based on it. Uh, and so, for example, like uh, a few weeks back when this terrible tragedy happened in Oregon, I get on my Facebook page and I got to tell you, there's one thing that makes uh, these tragedies and this violence and this awfulness worse. And that's the fact that you can debate it on Facebook, okay? That makes it worse for sure. And so, uh, you know, I get on Facebook and this Oregon shooting happened and there are about four or five people on my page that have absolutely used scripture to show me and everybody else that was looking at this that Jesus would absolutely be a card-carrying member of the NRA, okay? The scripture... Here it is. This is the scripture that shows that Jesus would be a card-carrying member of the NRA. I'm showing it to you right now. And this is why I think, uh, you know, it's okay to have guns. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. And then on the other side, I I had a bunch of people on my feed who used scripture and and had messages and said, this scripture right here proves that Jesus does not condone gun violence in any way and wouldn't be a card-carrying member of the NRA and wouldn't want guns. And so you have two different groups of people absolutely using scripture absolutely using scripture to prove their point, to prove a point, all which goes to show that scripture is an incredibly messy and difficult thing to understand. I want you to take a look at the person sitting next to you. Go ahead. Be very suspicious of them. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. They're great, they're great people. Um, Here's the deal. We all go to the same church. Some of us are visiting for the first time. Others have been here from the very beginning of us starting. And here's what I can tell you. I can tell you that if we all get into a conversation, I promise that at some point in the midst of our conversation, we will disagree on scripture. 
I promise that will happen. I promise that we'll have differing opinions. I promise that we'll have different ideas. I promise that some of us might think one way about creation and somebody else might think another way about it. I promise that some of us will say that God has predestined all of us to go to heaven and somebody else will say, I don't even know what that means. I'm all about uh, the complete grace of God and, and that you know everybody's going to heaven. I promise that some of us will see the Bible as a, a, a one thing and others of us will see the Bible as another thing. So why do we even have the Bible? Why do we even have scripture? To begin with, why do we have it if we're all walking in here with our own ideas and own assumptions and using it to our own advantage? Why? Well, we're in our rhythm series. And in this rhythm series, what we're doing, if you've been here for this, I've said what we're trying to do is create fixed ropes in the midst of storms. So I use this example of farmers in the midst of blinding storms. What they would do is they would tie one rope to their door and another rope to the barn door, and they couldn't see because the snow would just be blinding and crazy, and they would use these ropes as a way to guide them, okay, so they wouldn't get lost, they wouldn't get hurt. And I absolutely believe with everything in me that scripture is one of these fixed ropes, I absolutely believe that regardless of all of Scripture's difficulties and the facts that we have differing opinions on it and everything else, that Scripture is a fixed rope that guides us in the midst of difficulties. And you know what? Here's what else I believe, that that Scripture is the divinely inspired Word of God, that what God gives us in these Scriptures is absolutely from God, is from God's Spirit. And I believe that God's saying, hey, I'm not asking for uniformity, I'm asking for unity, not asking for uniformity in this thing. I'm asking for unity, unity in Jesus Christ. And so in order, in order to create this rhythm, what I'm going to have to do today is I'm going to talk to you guys a little bit about the historical context of Scripture, all right? Are you ready to go with me? We're going to do a little history right now. Is that okay? Everybody okay with this? And I want to show you why I think that this is the divinely inspired word of God, okay? And I want you to understand what I'm saying when I say that this thing is about unity and it's not about uniformity, okay? All right, let's talk about scripture. All right, I've said this a billion times, but it's worth saying one more time. People who were writing scripture did not know they were writing scripture, right? That's important to always remember. So what were people writing? Well, number one, people were writing stories, all right. Sometimes people were sitting around a campfire and they said, hey, remember that time that one thing happened and how important that was for us? And somebody else would say, yeah. And then they would tell their children and their children would tell their children. And finally, somebody would say, you know what? I got to write this down. And remember, there's no paper. So you're getting parchment or codices and you're writing it down there. And so they'd write down stories. So much of what we read in the Old Testament was written that way. It was written through stories. All right. So somebody finally wrote it down. And so when you look at... Um, Oh, you know, Genesis, or when you look at 1 uh, uh, Kings, for example, those would be written in that format, a storytelling format. In the New Testament, that's how much of the Gospels were written. People who are with Jesus would sit around and they would say, remember that time this happened with Jesus? Remember when we saw this? And, and they would tell these stories, and these stories eventually got written down, okay? Bible is stories. What else is the Bible? The Bible is also poetry, it's poetry. People wrote these amazing poems to help us identify with God and the way that we relate to God and God relates to us. So feelings of, of love and hope and feelings of being filled and then feelings of anger and sadness and despair. And so you have all these poems in scripture that show us how people relate to God and how God relates to us. So uh, the Psalms, how many people have read the Psalms before? There you go. The Psalms are poetry, okay? You know what else is poetry? These are surprising ones. Did you guys know Deuteronomy was poetry? It was set to music. I explained to everybody a couple weeks ago that they are, it's like a rule book. And so, of course, you would set your rules to music. That's what we do sometimes. Um, 
Uh, you know what else is poetry? The Gospel of John has poetic language. It's, it, was, it was also meant to be put to music to remember the stories of Jesus. I think that's fascinating. That's interesting poetry. And then the, another piece of what scripture is made up of, it's made up of letters. And I think this one is probably the most familiar to us because we still call them Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. It's made up of these letters that, that Paul or people who are writing for Paul mostly wrote uh, to new churches. And these were amazing, right? We have these amazing letters that Paul gives us. So what we have when we talk about our Bible is we don't have the Bible as we know it today. We need to think about it as not just one book. Think about it as a library, Okay. It's a library written by a bunch of different people in a bunch of different ways. We got that? We're getting there so far? Okay. All right, we're going to go a little deeper now, all right? So, how did this become our divinely inspired scripture? How did this become holy? It became holy because uh, uh, an emperor named Constantine in 325 decided that Christianity should be the religion of the Roman Empire. And he said, if uh, Christianity was going to be the religion of the Roman Empire, then we need to make sure we're all on the same page in the way we talk about Christianity. So we got a group of 300 bishops together. These 300 bishops were represent, uh, represented 1,800 other people, okay? And he said, you, go figure out what this Christianity thing looks like. Go figure out a way that we can all be uh, close or in agreement. And so it was called the Council of Nicaea. They all got together and they prayed and they worshiped, and they argued, and they talked, and they prayed, and they worshiped some more. It sounds like our value series is what it sounds like. Um, and what they did is after that time, they came up with the 27 books of the New Testament that they felt that were uh, divinely inspired by the, by the Spirit working within them, and then the way the Spirit was working in the authors. And so some of these choices were absolutely unanimous. So for instance, how many people have heard of the book of Acts? That was pretty much a unanimous choice to be, a, a, you know, God, people felt like God was calling them to put that into the scriptures. How many people have heard of the book of Revelation? Not so much a unanimous choice. That one was argued about quite a bit, and we sort of get that, right? We sort of like, like, Revelation's a really hard book, isn't it? Um, yeah, so this was put together by men, and I believe absolutely that the Spirit's upon these men as they, as they put it together, and then... These men had to compile the scriptures. Remember what I said. These scriptures were written on parchments and scrolls and codices. In fact, the Bible that you have today, whether it be on your phone or the one that you carry, that really didn't come about till about 600 years ago, the advent of the printing press. So you have, um, you have you know, all these people that are literally trying to piece together scrolls and pieces of paper and everything else, like you might a newspaper, so it might, it might look or feel that way, just stories here and there and pieced all together that way. And, and then at the advent of the printing press, we got what we now see as the modern day Bible. That's what we have. All right, are we still following? Are we still good in this history, okay? Now... In the midst of all this, most scholars will tell us, and this is arguable, but most scholars will tell us there's about 63,000 contradictions in Scripture. Okay, 63,000. Is anybody getting a little nervous right now? Okay, don't be nervous. It's actually really good news. There's 63,000 contradictions in Scripture. So, uh, for instance, uh, 1 Kings tells, tells us that Moses found the Ten Commandments or received the Ten Commandments on Mount Horeb, and Exodus tells us that Moses received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, which was at Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. Um, most people will say that the book of Job was a historical account of somebody who had a lot of money who lost it all. Other people say, no, 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 that's not true at all. It's a metaphor for what it means to lose things. And that's a battle that goes back and forth. Uh, Jesus. 
Uh, in Mark, it says that after Jesus was baptized, he went in the desert to be tempted by Satan. But in John, it says that after he was baptized, he went to a wedding at Cana. So which one was it? Did he go to the wedding at Cana? Or what, did he go into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan? You guys need to see your faces right now. <laughs> I'm going to get to this. This is good news. I'm going to get to this. And so with everything going on in Scripture, is it any wonder is it any wonder we can have five people who say this is what Jesus says about guns over here and another five people who say this is what Jesus says about guns over here? Of course. Scripture's set up this way. It's set up this way. But I still believe it's the divinely inspired word of God. So what are we to do with this? Well, here's what I think. I think that the way it's divinely inspired is not by believing in a set of propositions or a set of ideas, okay? That's not what it means to be the divinely inspired word of God. The divinely inspired word of God means that God gives us God's message through the imperfection of humanity. God gives us God's message not by going around humanity. God gives us God's message by going through humanity, by going through people. And how do we see this most clearly? We see it by God giving us his son, Jesus. Right? That's how we see it most clearly. God gives us the divine message that we need to hear through humanity, not by going around humanity, through it. If we go around humanity, that creates uniformity. We go through humanity, that creates unity in the scripture. Unity in the love of God. Unity in what God's message truly looks like. How can I explain this? Well, um, uh, a few years back, uh, I had some really good friends who were married, and I asked them, I said, hey, how did you meet? And they said, um, they said oh, we met at Disney World. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and I said, tell me about that. And they said, well, we were actually friends before that, but we went to Disney World, and it was at Disney World that we decided we should start dating. We should become boyfriend and girlfriend. And I was like, oh, interesting. And then the husband goes, the husband goes, yeah, I remember I was sitting on Space Mountain, and she was sitting in front of me, and I just felt like, this is it. This is the girl I was going to marry. Like, I just felt that way. And, um, and the wife goes, no. No, that's not it. She goes, we were on Splash Mountain. She's like, we were on Splash Mountain, and we were in the water, and I remember, and we were going through the thing, and I remember you just touching my shoulders, and I knew that you felt something, and I felt something too. I knew that was the time, and he goes, we never even went on Splash Mountain. <laughs> and she, she, he was like, it was Space Mountain. And then they got into this little argument, and then they got divorced, right? Because that's what you do <laughs> when you can't figure out what ride you went on. You get divorced, correct? No, they didn't get divorced. <laughs> They did not get divorced because what is the point of this story? Is the point about what ride they went on? Or is the point that there's a story of love here? A story of commitment? A story of belonging? A story of finding a life partner? This is the way scripture works. Scripture is divinely inspired because God does not work around humanity in the propositions and the ideas and the details. God works through humanity. The spirit works through humanity. This Bible is good news. This Bible is good news and it's ordained by God and it's ordained by God in the sense that, that listen, did Moses get the tablets on Mount Horeb or did Moses get the tablets on Mount Sinai? Or maybe God's saying, hey, in my humanity, in order to understand my truth, there's going to be times you're going to climb mountains and you're going to climb mountains in order to create structure and good news and love for your, for your kingdom, for your community, for, for your area. Maybe that's the point. 
Well, is, is, is Job, I mean, is it a real story about a rich person who lost everything, or is it a metaphor? Or maybe it's just God saying, you know what? I'm giving you a story about what it looks like to lose everything so that you understand that my grace is sufficient for you. Does the detail matter? Or does my divine word say that my grace is sufficient for you? What did Jesus do? Did Jesus go to, you know, Cana after he was baptized? Or did he go into the desert after he was baptized? Well, if he went to Cana after he was baptized, then we get this beautiful story of the abundance of Jesus' grace through God. The abundance, and it's shown through wine, right? Great. I want to know about the abundance of Jesus' grace. I think God wants us to know about the abundance of grace. Or if he goes into the desert, then guess what we know? We know that God walks with us in our sufferings. God walks with us in our sufferings that we're walked with. See, if we get hung up on these little things that go around humanity, then we miss out on what's divinely inspired. And what's divinely inspired is the way that God works through Scripture, through humanity, the imperfections, the difficult stuff, the beauty, the love, the stories, the commitments, and everything else. That's what God gives us. That's what creates unity. We don't need uniformity as to whether or not Space Mountain or Splash Mountain was the place. We need unity in the love that was created in that story. All right. This is tough because it's still the Bible and there's still a lot to fight through and there's still a lot to wrestle through and I'm, I'm sort of giving us a bit of an easy answer but like I, was, I always say, let's just start here, okay? And then, and then we'll, we'll, we'll do it. But, but here's what I can tell you. This is what the scripture tells us and Jen read it earlier. And this is important, okay? It says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but in really they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from, th- from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So what does it mean when we create a rhythm of reading scripture? What does it mean when we get to scripture? And the simple question is, is what I'm reading, is what I'm reading bearing fruit in my life? Is what I am reading bearing fruit in my life? Is, is what the Spirit is telling me, is that bearing fruit in me? Now, I've said this before and I'll say it again because I think it's so funny. Thomas Jefferson, whenever he read the Bible and he came across something he didn't like, he would cut it out of his Bible, okay? There's something called the Jefferson Bible. You can read it. (laughs) And so bearing fruit in your life is not cutting out the parts that you don't like, okay? That is not bearing fruit. And I've said this before and I'm gonna say this again too. Most of the good growth that we have in Jesus Christ, most of the good growth that comes through the Holy Spirit comes through the hard stuff. It comes through the suffering. It comes through understanding that we do not measure up, that we have some deep and difficult sin in our life. It comes through understanding that we are imperfect. It comes through understanding that we make some pretty difficult mistakes. And so sometimes when we're reading this scripture and we're asking ourselves, am I bearing fruit? It means that we're gonna be confronted with some pretty difficult things we don't wanna be confronted about. And it means that we have to own up and hold one another responsible and accountable to changing those things. That's what bearing good fruit looks like. This is not Thomas Jefferson where we go, nah, I'm not comfortable with that. Cut, 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 snip, 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 done. It's not like that. That if Jesus is, or if God's really using divine inspiration through our humanity, not around it, it means we need to go through these difficult stories means we need to be confronted by some of these difficult proclamations. It means that we need to wrestle with and fight through some of the things that make us better, that make us grow, that make us move. That's what it means. Is what I'm reading bearing fruit?
Next thing. Therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock. When we're reading scripture and we're bearing good fruit, our foundation is there. We're not washed one way, washed the other way. I'll never forget, and I've, I've felt this way too so many times. I, uh, my friend and I had gotten back into the faith together and we were, we were really wrestling with scripture and going through scripture and then something really terrible happened to my friend and my friend was like, that's it, I'm no longer a Christian. I'm no longer a Christian. And I said, well, what are you gonna be? And he goes, I don't know, man. Maybe Jehovah's Witness, just give me a second. And I was like, <laughs> and then he just didn't come back to church. That was it, it was over. And I was like, man, you know, were you really wrestling? Were you really wrestling with this stuff? Were you really paying attention to this stuff? Or was it, was it just a proposition? Was it just an idea? What happens is if we're really wrestling with this stuff, then when the storms come, when the difficulties come, all of a sudden this stuff starts to make sense in our lives and God starts to work in this scripture in ways that we can never even imagine. About three years ago, my family just got turned upside down, just flipped. And, um, and I'll never forget just reading one of the poems and Psalms and it just says, restore us, O God of hope. Shine the light on your face and we can be saved. And I read it, restore us, O God of hope. Shine the light of your face, we can be saved. And I just sat there and I said, somebody, I don't even know how many thousands of years ago, four or five something thousand years ago, went through the same exact experience I went through. And this is what's divine. This is what the spirit wants me to see. This is the way God moves in this. And in the midst of this storm, this is where I stand. Restore me, O God of hope. Let the, shine the light of your face so that I can be saved. Are you growing? Are you confronted with some of the difficult things going on in your life? Some of the sin happening in your life? Is that what's happening? Are you standing on this when the storm's swirling? And this is the hard part because most of the time, I want to walk away like my friend. I want to be something else. But can we stand on the hard time? Can we keep wrestling through it? Guys, scripture is not something that we go around. It's not a set of ideas or propositions and, and dogma and orthodoxy. It is going straight through the divine, seeing the divine through humanity. So how do we create a rhythm in it? Here's what I want you to do this week. If you're gonna create a rhythm in scripture, you actually gotta open up your Bible and you gotta read scripture, okay? I'm putting you on the spot. How many people have read their Bible this week? Oh, Good. More than I thought. I really thought there'd be like one of you. <laughs> I'm impressed. But if we're going to create a fixed rope, if we're going to create something where we can grow, where we could stand in a storm, I want you to open up your, your Bible. And I'm just going to, you know, I, this is just the beginning. Like I said, I feel like I could go on and on about this. But I'm just going to tell you what I do, okay? I use a practice. It's called the Lectio Divina. And it was started about a thousand years ago by monks in the desert. And what they did is they, they, they take a passage of scripture. It takes about 10 minutes to do. They take a passage of scripture and they read it. And they ask themselves these questions. Why would somebody have written this? What was going on in their lives that they would have written this? That's what they ask themselves. What was going on that they would have written this? How can I see Jesus in it? How do those things help me to grow? They read it like that. So it takes about 10 minutes. Just take a passage of scripture. Start in Matthew. Start at the beginning of Matthew. Read a passage. Take 10 minutes. Ask yourselves, why did somebody want this to write this down? Why was it so important that they wrote it? What was going on in their lives at the time? How do I see Jesus in it? How is it helping me to grow? 
and then take that same passage of scripture and read it a second time. You might think that sounds ridiculous. It's not. What it does is it clears your head of all the stuff that's going on and everything else. Read it a second time. Why did somebody write this? What was going on in their lives at the time that they felt the need to write this down? How do I see Jesus in it? How is it helping me grow? And then if you have the time, because then you get to about 15 minutes, read it again a third time. It's called Lectio Divina style. And there's a rhythm that I use in my life. And it's the rhythm that's allowed me to hear things like restore us, O God of hope. It's a rhythm that's allowed me to hear God in my darkest times and my best times. It's a rhythm that allows me to hear God every Sunday morning before I actually get up to speak. It's the rhythm that I use. It's the piece that I use. Why would somebody care enough to write this down? What was going in their lives at the time? How is it pointing me to Jesus? Because ultimately, like I said, when we don't go around, when we go through, through humanity, that's God through Jesus. That's the death and resurrection. That's the beauty of this. That's where we see God and God's full character. How is it pointing me to that? How am I going to grow through this? And believe me, there's plenty of days where I go, well, that was a waste of 10 minutes because it happens. But then there are other days where I'm like, I am moved and the spirit is here. That's what I want for us in this rhythm. I want you to be moved. I want you no longer to look at this scripture and go, huh, this thing has contradictions and this thing is difficult and not everybody believes the same thing I do. Say, God, what are you telling me in this thing? Because what you're telling me is the divine inspired word of your Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. God, uh, your Bible is is, uh, um, this library that uh, can sometimes be hard. Sometimes we feel like we have to read it with a gun to our head. Sometimes we feel like we have to read it in order to please you. And God, you know, forgive us. We can't please you in any way. You're God. You delight in us. So Lord, help us to see and hear and live your divine, your inspired word, the word that you've given us. Help us to practice it and live it out. Help us to challenge ourselves and to hold one another accountable in growth. Pray this in your name. Amen.